Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Jade. What's going on, buddy? <laughs> Me and my Filipino brother, Jade, here uh, spent some good time yesterday. Actually, my, um, my wife decided uh, that she wanted to, in a three months' time, uh, launch a conference to bring together um, moms um, who are raising a child with Down syndrome. So I, I have an adopted child uh, with Down syndrome. And um, so yesterday, we, we were together all day. And uh, he was running sound. And we did this event in Laguna Beach. And, and it was awesome. So um, random introductory side note. So hey, <laughs> welcome to Vox Community. Uh, my name is Andy. I'm one of the pastors here, the creative director on staff, and uh, I'm, I'm so happy to see all of you here. You can learn all about us at voxoc.com if you are new. Um, thanks for coming. Um, uh, what a crazy season. We're entering into spring. The rain's a little bit gone. It's kind of here. Um, I love it. But uh, we've got Easter coming up. It's Easter week this week. Uh, we have something planned for you every single day. Um, we don't. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but what we do have is on uh, Friday... We do have our Good Friday experience uh, that we've been uh, working so hard on. Uh, we'd love to see all of you there. It is free. It does not cost you anything other than your time. Um, we've also uh, partnered with Hug Church, a new church in downtown Fullerton that'll be joining us. Um, so that is at the Muckenthaler uh, Cultural Center. Uh, let's see if that slide goes up. Doesn't need to. But uh, Friday night at uh, 6.30... Uh, we'll be gathering there to walk you guys through um, a bit of a corporate liturgical experience that we have planned and then an actual gallery walkthrough where we've uh, asked a number of um, our artists here at Vox to build some pieces for us to kind of reflect on um, and experience what a Good Friday actually looks like. On Sunday, we'll also be doing baptisms. So if you are interested in being baptized or know someone who is, um, you can sign up now on the website at voxoc.com, um, and we could do that there. Uh, a couple other things before we get going this morning. Um, we're also doing child dedications on April 15th. So if you have a new baby or a 17-year-old that you want to uh, dedicate to the Lord, um, all are welcome. <laughs> we know they need it. So <laughs> uh, I will be. I will have my, uh, actually my two boys will be uh, dedicating up here and We'll try to uh, keep them um, from knocking everything over and trying to grab the microphone and um, sing the wiggles uh, with you guys. Um and then uh, we also have um, our next New to Vox dinner, um, actually on April 25th. So if, uh, if you haven't been to one of those, it's our time to be able to sit with you guys, feed you, um, tell you a little bit more about who we are, uh, what we're about, um, and what we're hoping to do kind of with this, uh, with this church here um, in Orange County. So... Um, this morning, we're going to have some worship. We're going to have some teaching, not in that order. Um, we're going to have um, some time where we take Eucharist together um, and actually experience um, these elements up at front. So um, up over here, we have our gluten-free uh, station, um, if that's uh, your thing there. Um, down front, we also have um, these prayer walls and these prayer boards where you can uh, write in prayers. Um, our prayer team then will be praying uh, with you over the week. And um, it's a great way to kind of release and really bring things to the Lord that way. Um, we have a prayer shawl up here that's representative of the story where uh, Jesus is walking through this crowd 
And this broken woman um, reaches out to grab this hem. Um, at that time, and still at this time, there's a belief in the Jewish tradition that um, through the seat seat on the tassels of um, that hem, that if the Messiah was wearing that, that healing would actually come through that. And in that story, um, she is healed. And Jesus talks about how he felt power leave him in that moment. And so we, we have that there as a symbol for you to come up and pray if, if you need healing this morning um, as a way to grab onto that and, and take that moment. Um, in addition, we have a community pastor team. Um, they're in orange lanyards. So if you need to talk with someone this morning, uh, something's heavy on your heart, um, or just, you know, you need a conversation and you're wrestling with all of this stuff that's happening in the world right now, good grief. Um, <laughs> uh, they're great folks that uh, can talk with you and uh, pray with you and uh, be with you. Uh, so uh, before I bring Ronnie out to teach here, I want to bring Izzy out, who is back after three weeks. Come on out. <laughs> So I was going to try to hustle up a photo from your wedding, but I didn't have time. That would have been really fun. But anyhow, so you've been gone for three weeks on your honeymoon. Can you? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Just got, I was about to give it to you, but there you go. I don't, I don't want to share you. Right? I know. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, guys, I'm back. It feels good to be back. I mean, like, kind of, you know. <laughs> well, just t- tell us a little bit about how yeah. was your wedding? How was the honeymoon? And yeah. yeah, it was honestly amazing. Like if we had a really tiny wedding and it was mostly just like family and close friends. And so it was so special to have all of my people right there. And so that was really exciting and very surreal to be like, oh my gosh, this is, this is actually happening. This is like my wedding. It's so weird. And it did go by fast. Everyone told me like, it will fly by and you guys weren't lying. So it was like, no, this is already over. No. And then the honeymoon was like so fast, but it was amazing. We went to Italy and Paris. It was amazing. I ate everything, all the croissants, all the cheese. It was wonderful. Had a great time. It's nice to be back. I miss the cold weather. I don't like the sun. It's fine. (laughs) That's great. That's like... 30 second version. Yep. You know. Awesome. But thanks. Well, Missed you guys. Yeah. I'm excited to be back. Yeah. Welcome back. So, anyways, I just wanted to say okay, bye. she's back. Say welcome back. And um, I'll be back. I'll bring later. Ronnie out here. And if you get a chance, make sure to say congrats to Izzy. And yeah, she'll be here. So, great. I'm going to bring Ronnie out and we'll get going on this morning. Thank you guys. Thanks, Andy. Yep. Morning, boxers. How are y'all doing? You good? Hey, I want to welcome you. Uh, my name is Ronnie Roa. Uh, if you haven't got a chance to meet me, I'd love to meet you afterwards and just talk with you. Uh, if you're new here, I, I realize this. Uh, for some of you, you've been a part of Vox and you kind of know what we do, right? You, you're, you're familiar with the deal. Uh, if you're new, you walked in and you're like, this is a little bit different. And that's by design. That's partly of intentionality because uh, for us, we believe that the center focal point of our gathering is the, is the Eucharist. Uh, this, this table that you see back here um, represents a table that Jesus would have had meals around with people in his day. Now, the table where Jesus sat was highly politicized because to have access to a rabbi to sit around a table said something. It said who was in and who was out. And when you look at Jesus' ministry, you realize that he sat around the table with those who would be considered out. And what message was he sending to the religious elite around him was that 
you're confused about who's in and who's out. And so for us at Vox, we really believe that um, this place, that this, this space that's here is a chance for people to gather from different backgrounds and, and contexts. And we don't all agree on everything. And so some of us agree on different things and disagree on other things. But what we believe is that when we come, we all have access to the table to wrestle with the conversations with Jesus and in front of each other. And we think that's, that's what this is about. And so if you're kind of looking at how things are arranged, that's kind of how it is. And so if you want more information, you can look on the website. There's more about that and kind of what we believe and what we're doing. And so anyway, I want to welcome you. Glad that you're here. Uh, We're going to look at, you guessed it, Palm Sunday, right? Palm Sunday, Matthew 21, if you have a Bible. Uh, If you have a digital one, you can open it there. We'll have some verses here on the screen so you can follow along as well. Um, I want to talk first, before we jump into that, a little bit about relationships. Uh, Relationships are funny things, aren't they? Uh, the dynamic that plays out in our relationships on a daily basis, and especially if you are in a relationship with somebody, a significant other, right? Uh, one of the things that uh, gets played out in relationships are expectations, right? None of us have expectations of our spouses, right? Never. Uh, I learned this early on that expectations breed frustration, expectations breed frustration. And uh, that makes a, a lot of sense. I'll give you a perfect example of this. So, uh, you know, when my, my wife and I first met, we were dating for a while. Uh, we were in that dating process. And during that dating process, her birthday came around. That's always interesting, right? When you first start dating somebody, like, what do you do in that setting? Like, wh- wh- how far is too far? <laughs> right? And then like, what's not enough? So I'm a very pragmatic, practical person, okay? Uh, And I know that you're judging me already as you're thinking about what happened here. Uh, On my wife's first birthday that we were together, um, I think my wife had expectations about sort of the gift that I would give my wife. Um, But because I'm a I'm a man and I'm pragmatic in my approach, the way I think, my wife does not take care of her car, okay? So one of the things I learned early on is that my wife, the car for her is like this thing that just gets her from point A to point B, like, like, oh, I thought you only changed the oil when the oil light comes on. Anybody ever have that? Yeah. No, no, no. That means that your car's about to blow up. So uh, one thing I knew about my wife's car was that the brakes were bad, okay? So... Carrie, come on. You're judging me right now. All of you are judging me. Okay, so what would I naturally do on her birthday? Yeah, this is a huge gift, right? This is the gift of safety. This is a gift that says, I care about your well-being. I don't want you to be in an accident. And so for her birthday, I got her a set of brakes. Okay, but I installed them. So there you go, right? That's, that's romantic. See, my wife, see, my wife had expectations of me, right? And then the frustration set in because I didn't meet the expectation that she had, right? So really, it's my wife's fault in all this, not me. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Uh, we have expectations of our friends. We have expectations of our children, right? And I learned this early on with my therapist that uh, at my five-year-old, I would have expectations that my five-year-old would do something and then I would become disappointed, right? And you hear par- parents say that to their kids like, oh, I'm so disappointed. And my therapist helped me understand, no, you're not disappointed. You're just disillusioned. And I'm like, huh? And he's like, when does a five-year-old act anything less than a five-year-old? See, that's not disappointment. There's no contract. It's not like you're in a a business meeting and you go, you agree to these guidelines and you didn't fulfill your end of the bargain. That's disappointment. This is disillusionment about what a five-year-old should do. So expectations sort of play out in our life in different ways, right? Uh, How do our expectations of God play out in our life? 
What sort of expectations do we have? What, who's God supposed to be? What sort of needs is he supposed to meet in our life? Is he there for us to be like the spiritual therapist? Is he supposed to help us have good life? Is he supposed to run to our, our, our immediate beck and call? Is he supposed to give us what we want because we do the things we're supposed to? What, what expectations do we have of God? Now, I think that the story of Palm Sunday actually has something to say about that. It speaks to this idea of expectation. And so before we begin kind of looking into Matthew 21 and the story of Palm Sunday and what does it all mean, uh, I want to just pray for us before we start. So God, we, um, we're we thankful for the chance to gather together. We are grateful that this community um, has open hearts and open hands when it comes to this place, that uh, we recognize uh, our seat at the table with you is granted, that access is always there whether we do or don't do. Um, you've called us there. And in that place, uh, we are accepted, we're loved, we're cared for. We pray that this would continue to be a place that is open and safe to belong, safe to ask any questions, safe to engage any conversation because we believe that, that you're in the midst of it and that you're with us in that. And so we pray for this morning, pray that you'd speak to us, pray for our world, pray for the place that we're in, that you would bring peace, that your kingdom come, that it would be here on earth as it is in heaven. We love you, we thank you, and we pray, amen. So as we look at Matthew 21, we have to ask some questions. What's happening here? What's happening in the text, right? For some of you, this is new. What is Palm Sunday? Why are we even talking about Palm Sunday? Um, and it comes out of this, this, this narrative. Uh, if you look at all four Gospels, they all talk about this particular part of Jesus's life. Now, that's important to know. If all four Gospels touch on it, that's probably because it's a unique part of a story. Anytime you tell a story, there are certain details you don't leave out, right? Because they matter. They're hinge points to the story. And so that's why all four of the Gospels talk about this particular uh, passage. So in Matthew 21, starting in verse 1, it says this, when they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives. So we asked this question. So why are they traveling towards Jerusalem? What is significant about Jerusalem in the first place? Why are they heading there? Something about the people, this tribe of people known as the Israelites. They had this very unique way about how they would remember, how they would honor their past, how they would remember what God has done. And this is a way for them to really um, share not only with the people in the present, but also to uh, remind those in the future who God is and what God has done for them. So they have this really unique way of remembering their heritage. Uh, we don't have a lot of that in our culture. There's not really a way for us to sort of remember these rites of passages. But for the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, they would celebrate with these festivals and these parties. And so it would remind them. And so Passover is this biggest party festival of all. Because in the Passover, they remember their time when they were enslaved in Egypt. And when they were in Egypt, it was God who set them free. He caused the angel of death to come and they were to put blood on their post of their, their door and God would pass over their house and he, he killed all these people in Egypt to allow them to be set free, right? And so this is a way for them to remember what God has done. They remember their journey so they don't forget what God has been doing all along. This is history for them, right? This is how it gets passed down. Now, Jesus is a good Jew. And like any other good Jew, he would go on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem during the week of Passover. So when you see that the story that they're walking towards Jerusalem, uh, towards the Mount of Olives, you realize he's doing what everybody does. So take for a second. Imagine uh, what's happening in the scene, in the setting. This is like Coachella, 
right? Imagine Coachella times 10, right? He's like, everybody's descending on the town of Indio, except this is, you know, this is Jerusalem. Uh, so people are partying, they're crazy. Like there's this, this wild anticipation. Everyone's gathering together. People you haven't seen in a long time. You're all there partying. It's just this huge festival that's happening, right? People are bringing their lambs for the sacrifice because that's what you do. Uh, and so each person is mindful of why they're there in the first place. When we read the story, sometimes we're disconnected, but everybody that's there, all the crowds of people, they're all mindful of why they're there. And then Jesus does this odd thing as you read the story. It says this, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go into the village ahead of you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say the Lord needs them and he will send them immediately. That's a very odd, strange thing, don't you think? You're walking to Coachella and then all of a sudden uh, Jesus just goes, yeah, go up there. There's a town, there's a donkey, go get it, bring it over here. If anybody asks you why, just say it's the Lord. Like they're just, people are just gonna give you a donkey? Like that's a, that's a huge commodity in that day. But yet Jesus is saying this and so the disciples, they do it. Now there's two things that we need to know that are at play here. First, they're the crowds, right? The crowds who are on the pilgrimage. Why are they there? They're there to remember. And most of the people in the crowd are probably either neutral to Jesus or some of them have heard who he is. They're sympathetic to his message. There's another set of people that are at play. These are the Jewish religious leaders. These are the people who are sick and tired of this Jesus. Because what has happened is the Jewish religious people uh, in Jerusalem at the time, they're in the pockets of the Romans, the occupying nation. They want to keep things status quo. They like the way that things are working for them. They're making money. Rome is making money. We can keep everything the way it is. And Jesus has been disrupting this from the time he started his ministry. So you can see that the religious people are getting fed up with Jesus. And now he comes here and he starts to initiate something. Now, isn't it interesting when you look at this, how the religious people were trying to maintain the status quo? Think about this for a second. Isn't it interesting that maybe in the tribe that you grew up in, there are always certain people who want to maintain the status quo? They always want to think back to the way things used to be. Let's get back to the good old days. Because we tend to think that the good old days were better. We sort of have been removed from it. And they don't want anybody to move forward and progress. I don't know, maybe it's the, the religious background that you, were, you brought up in. That tribe of people has sort of stagnated in their way of thinking. And yet you're trying to move forward and progress. And they're saying, what are you doing? You can't do that. Maybe you've been pushed out of that tribe because of it. And so here is Jesus in the midst of this and he's being pushed out because he's riling things up. He's pushing past the status quo. Now, the truth is uh, these people, the Jewish people, they've been oppressed their whole life. It's part of their history. Over and over and over again, they've been oppressed. They've been oppressed by the Egyptians, by the Babylonians, by the Assyrians, by the Persians, and now even by the Romans. So these people understand what it looks like to be oppressed. But every time they've been oppressed in history, something has happened. God has set them free. God has rescued them. So they have this expectation that has merit because it's founded upon things that have happened in the past. That's not a bad thing. They understood that God had given this promise that he would set them free. They find themselves in the midst of Roman oppression. They are waiting in anticipation to be set free. And Jesus, all along in his ministry, has been saying something over and over again to the people that maybe they just weren't understanding. 
He kept saying, I am the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. All of the things that you'd heard in the old days of past, I am the fulfillment of that. It comes to reality through me. Because see, then Jesus, after he tells them to go get the donkey, says this, tell the daughter of Zion, look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, that's an interesting text that he uses because this is a prophetic text in Zechariah 9. And so what Jesus is doing is he's striking into the memory of those people that are around him. Hey, remember, remember the promise. Remember that God said he would rescue you, that a king would come to set you free. And so he's actually ushering in this moment. And and so for the people, they understood that in Zechariah 9, it was this divine warrior who would come to their rescue, who would valiantly ride in and rescue these people from the oppression. That's the view they had. In fact, uh, Jesus is stirring to the remembrance of their mind of what God has done. In fact, Zechariah's name means the Lord will remember. And so he's calling them to something new. He's telling them, remember, God is doing something. God is doing something. And here is where the expectation really gets them because they, um, they were stuck in the way things always had been done. Their expectation of how God would show up and how God would rescue them was always built in the past. The way that God did it before. The way that God has done things in the past. This is their mindset. Have you ever been in that experience in your life? Have you ever had an old way of thinking about something that just doesn't seem to get you through to where you're at now? Where what was simply won't take you past what is. The views of God that you may have had at one point. You know, you were taught these things because your tribe believed these things. You were taught these things. And then as you got older, you realize, wait a second, I'm not sure how I understand that. And so what do you do? For some people, it's rejection of those things, right? It's walk away, I'm done, I don't want to have anything to do with it. For others, it's do I dig deeper? Do I revert back? Do I go into the status quo? The way things were, these expectations that the people had brought them back to this place, this mindset. And so look what it says. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. This is where we get this idea of Palm Sunday, right? This is the palm branches that were cut. Um, If you're wondering, uh, why did they spontaneously do that? This wasn't spontaneous. This is something that was a part of their history. Again, uh, when King Solomon's procession was brought in, when he was made king, this is what they did for him. They brought the palms, they brought the trees, they laid them down. It was a sign of respect and honor honor and glory. And so for Jesus, this is what's happening. So you can just imagine, right? Think about the crowds of people making this pilgrimage. Everybody's mindful of why they're there. Everybody knows what's happening. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Jesus proclaims that he is the one who's rescuing. He is the Messiah. He will be the one who saves them. And the people, they find themselves in this prophetic moment. (laughs) It's so prophetic, in fact, they start chanting a psalm out of 118. It says this, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna is this phrase meaning save us. 
They, they, they realize the midst of this cultural moment that they're in, this prophetic moment that Jesus now has ridden on a donkey. They remember the Zechariah 9 text. They start laying down all the palm branches, realizing he's the king. Save us, save us, save us, is what they're saying. The crowd is in a frenzy. Can you imagine? The crowd's in a frenzy. Everyone's going, oh my gosh. They have this expectation deep in their heart that they're about to be saved. They're saying, you see? You see, he's here again. God's doing that thing again. That old way, that old thing, that same old thing. He's doing it again. So what happens when our expectations are stuck sort of the way things have always been? What happens to our expectation? Well, think about it in your own personal life. You, you sort of lose perspective, right? You don't look for anything new. Your eyes aren't searching for something that might be different or might be happening. We miss what's in front of us. We miss the opportunities. Expe- expectations can lead to frustration. We, c- we can become angry at God for not showing up the way that our expectations originally started, right? I read this thing recently in Psychology Today about how um, in relationships, expectations, unmet expectations sort of create this disillusionment we have with our partner. And so when our partner disappoints us because an expectation was not met, we tend to withdraw inward. And then we have to somehow make sense of it. And so we blame them. They're the reason. They're the reason I'm not happy. They're the reason I can't see how this changes, and we do this with God at times. When an expectation isn't met, when we have this old way of thinking, the way that it's always been done, or what we think should happen, it causes us to lose perspective. The, the crowds, they were desperate, desperate for a savior, desperate to be rescued from the oppression. Now, here's the crazy thing. Here's the crazy thing. So they expected Jesus to overthrow Rome, and you know what Jesus said to them? Pay your taxes. What? Right? They expected their religious system to get them to heaven. And you know what Jesus said? No, no, no. It's the tax collectors, the prostitutes. They're the ones that are going to be in heaven before you. Wait, what? Jesus was supposed to have the temple restoration plan. And you know what he said to them? Your temple means nothing. It's going to get destroyed. How's that for flipping your expectations upside down? They were holding on to this way of things that should be or what God should do or how God should show up and Jesus is going, no, you're missing it. You're missing it. Your expectations are missing what God is doing. You see, they didn't understand is how God would save, how God would rescue them. You see, in that passage in Zechariah 9, it clearly says that the Messiah would come not as a loud and boisterous king, Not as a king who would amass a military army to create peace. Are you following me? Not that he was going to come and proclaim his kingdom and then dominate and oppress other people. No. It said that he would come humbly and that his peace would extend not just to Israel, but to all nations. You see, when our expectations are not met, we turn inward. You see, the Israelite people were saying, save us, save us. And what Jesus is saying, no, I'm saving everyone. I'm saving everyone. I'm here to do something new. Don't get stuck in your old expectation. God might be doing something new in front of you. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what God is doing? We skip ahead in the story. 
Matthew chapter 27, just a few days after, it says this, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus killed. The governor again said to them, which of the two of you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. And Pilate said to them, then what should I do with this Jesus who is called Messiah? And all of them, the crowd, said, let him be crucified. Then asked, why, what evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, let him be crucified. How is it that a crowd of people on Sunday could be singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, God save us, and then on Friday, crucify him, crucify him. An expectation that God would do what he's always done the way it's always been done this unmet expectation began to become clear to people as we move through this Passion Week towards Easter. They recognized, where's the chariots? Where's the dominating God who would amass an army and rescue, who would kill the Roman Empire and free them and deliver them and rebuild their temple, establish their religious system again? Where, where is it? When that became clear, that wasn't happening because they held on to an old expectation they let everything go. They abandon all hope. And all of us have been there, right? We've all been there in our expectations of God. We've all had thoughts about what God should do. Maybe a potential job opportunity that you've had your heart set on doesn't come through, right? God save us, save us on the day that you have the interview and then Crucify him, crucify him when you don't get it. A relationship that you hope might go the distance suddenly fails. An unmet expectation. The hope of having a child and the heartbreak of infertility. Ugh. That's painful. What do you do? The hope of reconciling a relationship with a parent and then the heartbreak of the rejection. The hope of finding justice and the heartbreak of continued injustice. What do we do in those moments? Because I want you to pay attention to something that happened during this week. On Sunday, it was Hosanna. On Friday, it was crucify. And the whole time, this loomed in the shadow of the cross that was standing on Sunday. For the people's misguided expectations, Jesus never shamed them or condemned them for it. He never looked at them and said, how could you? Everything I've been doing up to this point and you're ready to crucify me? No. He knew they were human. He knew what it meant to experience heartbreak and pain, to hold on to expectations about the way that things should be done. And so this Palm Sunday story tells us something about our hopes and expectations. That sometimes our hopes about how things should be done and our expectations about the way God should show up might need to find death. Because the story of the gospel is that's only through death that you find life. That's what this week is about. This week is about death. And through that death, 
you might find life. And so I think Jesus speaks to us today and says, take courage, brothers and sisters. If you are in a place of heartbreak because of an unmet expectation, if things haven't quite worked out the way that you thought they would, if you're not at the place that you thought you should be at in your life, when all hope is lost, you're actually close to the life that's coming. Pay attention because God is doing something new. God is doing something new. He's calling us into this this new life, but it goes through death beforehand. This week, as we move in this Lenten season towards Good Friday and Easter, I'd ask you this question. What is dying or what needs to die so that you can find life? What expectations might need to be put to death so that you can see what God is doing in the new? Wrestle with that this week as you move towards Good Friday and towards Easter. God, we thank you so much for the way that you go beyond our expectations. It's as if you are transcending them in ways that we can't understand. And I think that's the mystery of who you are. And, and, and we're fragile and we're human and you understand that. So give us strength to embrace and to hold on to that. To hold on to the hope that through death comes life. That you haven't left us, that we're not on our own, but that we have each other and we have you. Help us this week to be mindful of the things that we're holding on to about the way they should be done. About our expectations that maybe are misguided or misplaced. Help us not to be self-condemning and guilty about those things, but to realize that you love us and you're calling us to something new. We're grateful for this time, Jesus. We love you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Brothers and sisters, it's been a good morning. Amen? Well, I hope that you would join us this week as we move towards Good Friday. We'll be at the Muck. Uh, I think there's information. Maybe we can throw that slide up. If not, you can go on the website. You'll see that uh, we'll all be there. It's great for us to orient our hearts and our minds and towards what Jesus is doing because he's doing something new in our midst, right? We don't hold on to old expectations, but we believe he's moving in the new. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm excited for what's happening this week and what's happening around. So uh, look forward to meeting you out there and talking with you. We all hang out out there, so hang out with us. Uh, but as you go, uh, go in God's grace, go in peace, Love you guys. See you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.